When have you thought about the presence of God? When do you think about the presence of God? You know, when, when do you dwell on the, the very presence of God? When you think through scripture itself, that's a theme that runs all the way from the very beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. We could actually say, well, that is one of the things that the Bible is about, is that God is present. We're in the Psalms, and one of the Psalms says, a fool has said in their heart, there is no God. Why? Because God is present, and God is present everywhere. You think about the very beginning of the Bible, the very beginning of the Bible, and you see the Word of God and the presence of God. You think about Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, God created. We see the act of God, God creating with his very words, but we also see the Spirit of God present hovering over the waters of the deep. Essentially, um, we could say that in creation was the first baptism because out of this chaos of water, God brings through his spoken word, life. He brings spoken word. At the end of the Bible, what what is the end of the Bible about? It is the presence of God. It is God coming to what? Dwell with his people coming to dwell with his people. In the interim, where do we see the presence of God? Well, um, there's major stories and major themes about the presence of God. God leading his people out of the land of Egypt, right? And where was the presence of God? Well, in the miracles of the plagues, we see the presence of God, right? We, We see it in what Moses was to speak to the powers that be there. Let my people go, that they may be with God, that they may worship God. And we, we, we saw that his powerful presence was there in Egypt. And leading out, do we see the presence of God? Does God make known his presence? Yes, he does. He makes known the presence in the calamity of the, of the Egyptian army being swallowed up by the Red Sea, but God's people are safe and saved. And we see in Exodus 15, we see Moses' song of the presence of God how God saves the people of Israel. And we see that that God leads Moses and the people of Israel all the way through the the wilderness. And there's a particular presence of God, right? There's a particular presence of God. It's cool in here. Isn't that nice? Can we say thank you to Cody? Thank you. We we have some, I I call it hillbilly air conditioning. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. But it is ingenious, so thank you, Cody. And again, we appreciate your patience. It's just been tough getting people out here. Back to the scriptures, the presence of God. Do we see the presence of God? Yes, the shade over the Israelites through the wilderness, right? The presence of God, A.C., <laughs> in the desert, right? And then a pillar of fire by night in even then, we get the instructions of they built a tabernacle. What was that tabernacle for? Right? There was that, in that inner sanctum, the Holy of Holies, there was the presence of God, and we move through temple. Right? They settle into the land, and we see the presence of God there. And then we move into the New Testament, and where do we see the presence of God? In Jesus, in Jesus himself. This morning's psalm is all about the presence of God. It's all about the presence of God. Now, it is a psalm, typically, 
that is read at funerals. I don't think there's a funeral that, that I've done, um, nearly 300 funerals, and this psalm has not been read, very few. I think it's read in nearly every single one. You probably know where I'm going, so take your Bibles and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Typically, I, I started this way because typically uh, Psalm 23 is looked at as the shepherd psalm. The shepherd psalm. It's, it's the Lord is my shepherd. I, I shall not want, right? We... We are, even if you're not a regular church goer, you're probably familiar with this psalm. You know, I don't know how many movies begin, right, with like sort of that aerial shot, and you can hear the clergyman standing by the graveside, and people are mourning, right? They're, they're telling you that, that someone is dead, right? Someone has passed away, and they're reading Psalm 23. And you think about, why is this psalm so powerful at that moment, why is the shepherd psalm so powerful at that moment? It's about the presence of God. And that, that may be something that we miss, um, but yet it's right in front of us in, in this psalm. You, you think about we begin worship, whether that's family worship or worship here, with a saying about the presence of God. Why, do, why has the church for hundreds of Thousands of years begun worship in many places saying, the Lord be with you and also with you. It's about what? Recognizing that the Lord is what? The Lord is with you and also with you. He is present everywhere. Um, he is all present. Um, we cannot escape the presence of God. And I think this psalm is so comforting at the point of death because of it's not being read for the person that has passed away. It's a psalm of the living. It's a psalm that encourages us with the presence of God. It's also, let me be really frank, very difficult to preach on, right? Because how many messages have you heard on Psalm 23? How familiar you are probably with Psalm 23. There's whole books written on Psalm 23. There's books about the shepherding imagery in Psalm 23. Listen, I have nothing new to share with you this morning. Nothing. Um, I, but I do have God's word, which we are called in Psalm 1 to what? Meditate on it day and night. So here's what I guarantee. I guarantee that the, the spirit of God will bring something new to your heart and mind as you meditate together here on this particular psalm. We are called to dwell our presence with God's presence mediated by the word of God, the words of God here. And so when we open God's word, God does some amazing things, amazing things. This is a psalm of comfort. It's a psalm of comfort, but it's also a psalm of courage. It's a psalm of courage. Um, I was talking with my son yesterday. We were moving, and um, he, was, he was talking about a modern psychologist. He's not a Christian. And uh, the psychologist was commenting on raising children and saying, you know, a lot of people want to raise children or they have for their own life to be happy, right? That's sort of the, the, the modern theme is like raise your children to be happy. And um, this, this psychologist said, he said, far better for people to, to be and to raise their children 
to be courageous in the face of adversity. Because he said, really, we don't have a definition, this psychologist said, we don't have a proper definition of happiness. That happiness really comes from being courageous in the face of adversity. And he said, that's really what, that's what we need, that's what our, our children need. I think there's something there, there's some truth there, that I think we find here in this particular psalm, in this, in this presence. So earlier in that day, the conversation that we had together Earlier in that, that day, um, I was coming from downtown from the hospital, and sorry, I'm, I don't know why I'm like, I don't usually like have to drink like this, but um, I was coming from the hospital, and um, you know, lo and behold, you're, you're going to think I'm like the accident magnet because I always have an accident story, um, but I was going through the Stewart Avenue neighborhood driving home, and an accident had just taken place. It was three high school or college-age boys had pulled out on the Kalamazoo Avenue without looking, and a young man, about you know, 30 years of age, had hit them, um, and he was going at a good rate of speed. It wasn't his fault, and they ended up in somebody's yard. Now, fortunately, all the cars worked the way they were engineered to work, and no one was hurt, and actually, the cars weren't all banged up. That, that you know, there wasn't a bad accident, but if you've been in a car accident, like, what happens? Like, all of those senses go off, right? The adrenaline is flowing and you're upset. Well, this one young man that was in the, the car, he's about 30 years old, just literally lost it. Like he was on the phone and I can't repeat in church or anywhere what he was saying. And, um, and so I stopped, I got out and I went up to him and um, he just was beside himself. And I, you know, you say the typical things, look, everybody's okay, you know, all of that kind of thing. And I just said, hey, um, I just said, let me share something with you. And I went to James and I said, you know, James says that these kinds of things that we are to count as joy. And I said, I know this is not joyful, but I said, what happens is that what James says is that it builds courage. It builds character. I said, I think this is a character building moment. And I said, there's three young guys over there that are watching you. How are you going to handle this? And then I told him I was a pastor, and I said, I'm preaching out of Psalm 23. And it was, so I, I, I quoted for him the psalm. And I said, the Lord promises to be present with us. He reminds us of his presence. Now, I don't want to give the impression that we can use scripture like some magic wand and wave a verse over people and like everything is okay. Because, but visibly, this man's whole countenance changed, totally changed. And he, you know, he, like, for a moment, he broke down and cried. And he said, he's like, it's not, this is not even about the accident. He's like, three years ago, I lost my dad. Four years ago, I lost my mom. I'm all alone. I'm packed up. I'm moving to Texas. And now this. And he's like, I just don't know what to do. And so I gave him my number. And I said, well, I've, I've shared some things with you. The police arrived. He had to do all of that kind of thing. And I said, but know that God's present with you. Right? See, it's in those moments that we go to Scripture. And what does Scripture do? It reminds us of what? It takes us to God. It takes us to his presence. What does it do? It gives us comfort and it gives us courage. That's why when we stand in those moments, and we have a moment 
of death here in this psalm. We read this particular psalm because it's taking us to the presence of God. And we desperately need to be reminded of God's presence. So let me read the psalm for you this morning. And we're going to look at three observations here about the presence of the shepherd king in this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. And when we come to the Psalms, one of the things that we need to look at is where does this fit? Where does this fit? Um, it's not so much important that you actually have the historical context of the Psalms. Um, that is not the structure of the book of the, of the collection of Psalms. Um, you, can, you can figure that out with some Psalms. There's evidence in the Psalm, and you're like, oh, this fits in the life of David here. Um, <clears throat> but it's more about how the, the editor, most likely Ezra, um, has placed all of these Psalms together. Certainly, we do see the gospel in this particular psalm. It is a resurrection psalm. It's a psalm of resurrection. And it fits there because when we go back and we actually look at the psalms that come before this psalm, um, and even the psalms that come after this psalm, we see a theme running through this. Now, we know what's happening here because we can read these psalms um, through the lens of the New Testament, in fact, what we see is we see, we see this one theme in Psalms 19 through 26 is confidence in God's redemption in Messiah. Confidence in God's redemption in Messiah. That no matter what, what we have is we have confidence in Jesus Christ. Right? That is what we hang on to. That is what we long for. That is what ultimately satisfies our soul. But we also see the whole theme of the Bible. Like Martin Luther said, that the Psalms is a little Bible. And we have every theme, everything in the Psalms. If we could condense the Bible down, we could condense it down to the Psalms and see everything in the Psalms. Um, we go back to Psalm 19, and here you have what's called a creation psalm. So it's a psalm of creation. So we see creation, but right along with creation in Psalm 19, we also see sin and the fall in Psalm 19. We move into Psalm 20, and you can read through this psalm, and you see the promise of the Messiah being born. And, and it is an Advent psalm. It's a, it's a psalm of the promise of the king that would come. We see in Psalm 21 a psalm of triumphal entry, the psalm of the king coming, um, coming into Jerusalem. And, and so this is a psalm of the king who's, who's coming. But we also see in Psalm 22, and who quotes Psalm 22 in the New Testament church? 
Come on now, shout it out if you know it. Jesus, and where does he quote Psalm 22? On the cross. Psalm 22 is a psalm of prophecy of the Messiah who is the one who was going to die. In Psalm 22, um, then 23, we see what? We see, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And what? what's the promise? And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a psalm of resurrection. It's a resurrection psalm. This is why we read this standing beside gravesides. It's hope, hope in the presence of God right now, hope in the resurrection. Psalm 24, what is the theme in Psalm 24? It is the ascension. It is, it is, it is the ascension, the son going to the father. And then Psalm 25, it is a psalm of the church. It's a psalm of Pentecost, the spirit coming. And then Psalm 26, what do we see? We see the final judgment. And so it's, it's a matter of, I encourage you to follow what Psalm 1 instructs us to do um, and, and is the way to be blessed, is to meditate and dwell in the Psalms. Only by dwelling in the Psalms and reading them over and over again will you link these themes together. Now, I could spend our entire time talking about the structure of this, just the, these, these verses uh, or chapters, sorry, songs, 19 through 26, because there's so much there when you look at the themes of the Bible as they play out in this section. Um, so there is a lot there when, it, when we look at structure. So Psalm 23, let's look at three things in Psalm 23, a resurrection psalm. Um, three things. First, we're going to look at the presence of the shepherd king. That's the theme, the major theme of this particular psalm. In his presence, he provides. There is provision of the shepherd king. And that's how he is presented in this psalm. He's presented metaphorically um, as a shepherd. And he's presented as the king, as the theme in the psalms. And we see this in this particular psalm. And then finally, the preservation of the shepherd king. Um, So let's look at verse 1 of the psalms. It begins, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord, now, I've been saying this, note how that that is spelled, right? It is spelled capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which means Yahweh. This is the name of God um, that is most significant um, to the God of the Old Testament. It is his personal name. Um, He's revealing that he is the Lord of all. He's the Lord of all. The Lord is my shepherd. Here we see the the presence of the shepherd, uh, the presence of the shepherd. We see that that he is present, that this shepherd king is present right now. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now that gets into the provision as well of the shepherd, but we see the presence of the shepherd. How does the the chapter end or the, the song end? How does it end? And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, there's, there's actually two possible structures to this psalm. Um, one is, um, the, and it's called an ABBA structure. It's a repetition structure. Or you can look at it as a beginning ending and working towards the middle. It actually has both and can be organized in both. It's a very complex psalm, actually. We know it. We, we kind of take it for granted. We think we know it. 
Um, but the, but there's, there's a lot that's actually happening in the literary part of this psalm that makes it incredibly interesting. So I'm following the beginning-ending structure of this in, in our outline today, noting the presence of, of this shepherd king. Um, he is present, what, now and forevermore. What the psalmist is saying is he's using a metaphor, and I won't go into the um, the hus- animal husbandry or agrarian metaphor here of the shepherd. I'll let you explore that on your own. But he's saying, just as a shepherd leads and cares for the flock, for the sheep, that is what God is doing in our lives as the church today. God is leading, and there's a destination. He's moving us ahead. And is that destination iffy? Is that destination we're not really sure where he's going, where, where he's leading. We're just, you know, we don't know what, what's going to happen. And we're just, well, we're just taking it one day at a time and we'll see. And, well, there is an interim in there that we don't know. But it is incredibly comforting that it's only the interim we don't know. It's not the destination. We know the destination. We know. We're living in the house of of the Lord, dwelling, right? Dwelling, living with God forever. For those that are in Christ, for those that have their sins forgiven, for those that acknowledge their sin and God's judgment and his goodness, right? That's what this psalm is about. It's about the goodness of God in his mercy in that he takes us, he meets us right here where we are, but he doesn't leave us where we are. He leads us to where we are to go. Yes, the interim is a bit uncertain, but the end is absolutely sure. And what is he telling us that we will have to guide us in the way? The presence. That's what we have. God is present with you. God is present with you. This is a resurrection psalm. It's, it's, um, it's speaking of the fact that, um, and we know this even clear, more clearly through the New Testament, that we believe that we will rise again. Our bodies will rise from the grave. We believe that. Why? Because Jesus rose from the grave. He is the down payment. He is the promise. He is the good and great shepherd. He has ascended to the Father. And someday we will meet him in heaven and then heaven will do what? Dwell on earth forever and ever. All things will be made well. All things will be made right. Justice will be known. The truth will be known. We will be with God forever. The barriers that we have, the struggles that we have, the difficulties that we have today, Um, Our body breaking down in disease and wasting away um, the pain and suffering that we endure in life. Isn't that why we stand beside the grave of those that we love so well and read this particular psalm? Because of the hope that we have, not just in the one who has passed, but of the hope of humanity in Jesus. And what does he give to guide us? He gives his presence He came to dwell with man in Jesus. And the church has what? The church has the spirit of God, right? If you're a follower of Jesus, 
of the promise of the New Testament is that you have the Spirit of God in you, that God dwells with his people. And that is why worship is so important. Um, that's why we come at the command of God to worship God, right? We, don't, we might say it, but then we realize, right? We might say, well, I don't feel like worshiping today, but God has commanded it. And everything that God commands for us to worship together, he also provides for by his grace, right? It's loving. It's loving. God's commands are good and loving. And we do that because we're reminded that when we gather together, God is present with us. He's present with us in this hour in a way that he is not present when we are apart. We are still the church apart. But I am not the church as a sole individual. I am not God's people. You are not God's people individually. We together collectively are the body and bride of Jesus. And through the Spirit of God, he gives us his presence. That's why every Sunday, what do we recognize? The body and blood of Jesus. And he is with us. This is a meal. In fact, we see that in our next point, the provision of the shepherd king. The provision of the shepherd king. <clears throat> we see the presence. And what, what is he doing? God is present ahead and behind, right? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He is present ahead. He is present behind us. He will move with us, present through the spirit of God, through the word of God, all the way through our life. But also we see here the provision, the provision of the shepherd king. What is, how does God provide for us? <clears throat> he says, I shall not want. Now modern people oftentimes read that and they say, well, he's going to give me every desire. He's going to give me every desire. But if you read the middle of this psalm, you'll notice that there is a place where you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Life is difficult. There are very difficult days ahead for you. Um, I can guarantee that. There are difficult days ahead for me. I can guarantee that. Why? Because the last enemy is at the middle of this psalm. What is the last enemy? The last enemy is death. You will face difficulty in life. That's guaranteed. The hardest and most difficult is the last enemy, and the last enemy is death. So here we read that I shall not want, even facing the last enemy. It is the presence of God that provides for us so that our souls are satisfied. See, what the last enemy does in the middle of this psalm is strips away everything that we could ever possibly have our security in. In the last facing the last enemy that's death, we, we have no idols. We certainly can bow down to them, but we know that they're powerless. Uh, perhaps you've been there with someone, held their hand in that moment of death. I'm serving 15 years as a hospital chaplain. There were many, many people where it was me and no one else, maybe a, a hospital staff member, maybe you work in the hospital, and this is a regular occurrence for you. Um, and you are there with that person in that moment of death. What do they have? The same thing that they came into this world, they have only Jesus. And they've either accepted him or rejected him. When we face that last enemy, <clears throat> we can try to cling to idols. But in that, in that moment, we see their powerlessness. And here what he's saying is, I have provided for you the ultimate 
but I'm also going to, in the way, provide for you. The shepherd king provides for us in death and in life. But we have to be careful as modern people, you know, that we, that we don't say, well, you know, that third car would be really nice to have and um, you know, so that God gives me all my desires. The scripture by Christians in our day, um, Christian leaders in our day, has been warped and twisted and bent to mean those kinds of things. There are no such promises, right? We sometimes have those expectations, but that's why we meet together here in this place. The same psychologist said this. I think he's on to some things, even though he's not a Christian. Um, but the, the same psychologist said this, is that our perception of reality, for good or for negative, um, is affected by other people. And we need other people to challenge our perception of reality, and that's why isolation is so dangerous. And when we isolate ourselves, we begin to work into a rabbit hole of our own reality where there's no one to push back. But every time we encounter someone else, and they say, huh, that's interesting, I agree. Huh, that's interesting, I disagree, right? We are challenged to reform our, our, our reality, right? That's what the scripture does, and that's what we're called to do as a church. And we're called to make sure when we, we look at the scripture and we say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, that we understand what it means to not want, right? To not want in life, what does that mean? And we're here to encourage one another. Um, to, to follow the shepherd in such a way that we understand he's provided everything for us, right? So there's this provision, and we have to be careful um, with that provision. What does he do? Look at verse 2 and then verse 5. He makes, me to, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. In verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Um, two very different provisions. Right? So we see a provision in his presence for sure, um, but we see these, his provision in these ways. Now, verses 2 and 3 is just wrought with all kinds of shepherding imagery. It's beautiful. You know, the, the idea of the sheep taken to green pastures. And what sheep do in order to calm them and for them to lie down and, and how God, like a shepherd, cares for um, sheep to, to lead them beside still water. That is, that, they will, that, that sheep will, um, will have the proper nutrients and will, will, um, will actually drink from the water. And, and God does these things in order to restore my soul. That's, that's what he's after here. It's, that's the focus here. God is actively, in how he leads, <clears throat> he is restoring your soul. This is reflective, or the words, I think, um, echo from Exodus chapter 15. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 15 and verse 3. This is the song of Moses. Um, the song of Moses when they pass through the, the Red Sea, and he says in verse 13, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. God is leading in such a way to restore the soul. He's leading in such a way that he leads in paths of righteousness. 
So he is doing what? He's restoring our soul. How does he lead to restore our soul? Well, we see he leads like Jesus, right? He goes ahead of his people. Um, he takes care of his people. And how does he do that? It is the shepherd that does what? Lays down his life for the sheep. That's how our soul is restored. Yes, we are comforted in this, in this present age by the scripture. Um, but oh, we are comforted in the way that we understand Jesus has given his life for us. He has laid his life down for us. In fact, we're called to do that. We're called to do that individually in a particular way, um, to prefer one another over ourselves, to love one another. We're, we're, we're called to do that in our homes and in our marriage. See, marriages are eschatological. There you go. That's what I paid seminary for, to give you those kinds of words, right? It means the last thing. A marriage, a home, is an imperfect vision of what what Jesus has done and what heaven will be like. And that's what we're called to image in our homes is that we are called as husbands to love our wives like Jesus. And as wives, we're called to respond to the love of a husband in the way the church responds to the love of their savior, right? There's all of these levels that this restoration of soul is, that, that God brings into our life, but it's all connected. It's all connected. The wellspring is Christ in what he has done. He has given his life. And then what does he do when he restores our soul? Well, we're, we're doing it today, church, right? We're learning to be instructed in paths of righteousness. How is it that we should walk? What's the way that we should walk? And where do we go to know how we ought to walk? We go back to Christ, the word, and his instruction. We follow God's word, right? That's the, that's the path. And he is doing this, what? For whose sake? Is it for ours? We could say, well, yes. Do you enjoy the benefits of your salvation? Oh, yeah. We do. Right? Right? The, the catechism teaches us that in life and in death, what do we have? We have Christ. He is our fullness. Right? We have Christ. Yes, in this life we enjoy the benefits. We are benefited by Jesus. We are benefited by the gospel, right? We can have joy because of the gospel, but it's not for our sake. What does the Bible say there? It's in your text. For whose sake does he restore our soul and lead us in these paths, teach us to follow, make us disciples? It's for his glory. It's for his name's sake. Right? Our obedience is giving glory to God. Yes, when we give glory to God, we do benefit. But we need to make sure that we have the proper order and that our thinking and our lives are properly ordered. It is for the glory of God that we follow him. And what else does he do? How else does he provide? Well, here you have a banqueting table in verse 5. It's, it is the, the present, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. This is picturing um, one of the, 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 the feasts, the banquets in the temple. It's a feast of thanksgiving that takes place in the temple. Right? And he's saying, even in the midst of this troubled world, what is God doing for you and I? 
What is the presence of God doing? He's restoring our soul. He's teaching us to walk in paths of righteousness. And he's doing what? He's feeding us. He's, he's, ta- he's ta- saying, take a seat at the table of thanksgiving. And what? Well, what is he serving? Oh, it's a, it's a feast. It's a feast. And he's anointing the head with oil. He's blessing He's blessing each one of us as guests around the table. And my cup overflows. Right? Like the, the imagery in here, like God is not stingy with his blessing in this life and forevermore. Right? This is, this is a psalm of his goodness, his promise, his provision. He's filling your cup. Not halfway. He's filling it to the rim. So much so that it does what? It's silly. It it overflows. So, you know, kids, next time you have guests over that you're really happy to have them over, just fill their cups up, and just when it hits the top, just keep letting it go. See what your parents say. Just say, hey, I'm being biblical. Just doing what God says. Like, this is God's goodness. The Kool-Aid is overflowing. Right? No, 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 no. Don't do that. (laughs) But it's an image of the bounty of God. Do you see the heart of God in this? Right? Do you see the heart of our Savior in this? This is so very different from any other religion that you will ever, ever see. This is what sets Christianity and the object of your faith apart from any other thing, is the very fact that the mercy and grace of God is so free towards you. Right, that's why when we, we um, said, well, we need to look at how the Psalms, how they instruct our emotions, and especially our emotions towards God. This particular Psalm, you ask, what is the mood of the psalmist? Right? What's, the, what's the tone of the psalmist? And what mood, what emotion should the hearers have? What is he trying to do in my heart, in my emotions? How is he instructing my emotions? What are good and right and well-ordered emotions in this psalm? Well, part of it is to be frustrated, Right? You know, sometimes we think that life should be, we don't need a shepherd. We just need, well, I just need this, and I need this, and I need this. And we're looking for the autopilot button, right? We're looking for the formula for our faith and for our walk. Listen, there's no formula. There's a person. And so oftentimes we are frustrated. We're frustrated with life. The Bible says we will be frustrated with sin and by a sin-cursed world and our own short-sightedness and our own sinfulness, life will be frustrating. But the mood of this psalm, what it's to do with that, that, whether that's anger or depression, struggling, what is the mood of this psalm instructing us to do? To meditate on this psalm, to what? Till something begins to click in your heart. Right? Till you begin to think through this. Right? So you think about what does it mean to sit at a table 
in the presence of your enemies. Right? You think about that feasting table and there's enemies all around. What do you want to do? You want to be going like, hey, hey, you got this? You got this? You got, you got these? You know, you got, you got this? Because I don't know if I want to eat here. <laughs> I don't feel really all that safe. What he's reminded his people and us, his people before that, is that he's got it. If he's got the last enemy, he's got the first enemy. He has your enemies. He has the enemies of God are nothing. They will fall. You are safe. You can sit at the table of gratitude and enjoy the goodness of God, even in this world, even amidst the frustration. And there's times that you need to instruct your emotions by the word of God. Now, is that an easy job? No, it's not. That's not an easy job. But the Bible says that in Romans 12, that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. There's a process that happens at the moment of salvation that changes our position, but yet here we are led beside still waters, restored souls, and he leads actively in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So at the moment of salvation, this learning, this condition is changing, it's transforming, and it's being transformed by the word of God till ultimately it is transformed through death in the promise of the work of Jesus Christ in everlasting hope. So we see here the presence of the shepherd king. We see the provision of the shepherd king. First, we see it in his presence. And then second, we see it because he restores our soul. He leads us in paths of righteousness. And even in this life, he brings us and teaches us and transforms us to understand his goodness that he prepares this table of thanksgiving, that his goodness is ever towards us so that our cup overflows. His presence is before us and behind us. And finally, we see the preservation of the shepherd king, the preservation of the shepherd king, that right in the very middle, and actually in the middle of the middle, in the middle of this thing called death, we see that God is present and he's doing something in this place. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will, there's an emotion word, fear no evil. Fear not. Even in death, fear not. Why? This is a psalm of presence. Here is the main, this is the middle, this is the point of the shepherd psalm. For you are with me. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So even in the middle here, we see the preservation of the shepherd king. He's preserving us. And he's preserving us even through death. He's preserving us both externally in the hope of the resurrection and even internally through the trial of death. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Now, what is the shepherd king doing in this to preserve us? It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Look, at, look back at Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2 in verse 9. Psalm 2 in verse 9. What is, the, what is the rod of the shepherd for? There's other places that we see this rod in Scripture. The Psalm chapter 2, Psalm 2 in verse 9, it says, You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like potter's vessels. Who is he dashing? You see, what we see here is we see the shepherd, but we also see the king in this psalm. What, what is the rod of the shepherd doing? Well, we'll here in verse 8 of, of Psalm 2, it says, And ask me what I will make, ask me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your, your possession. I will break them with the rod of iron. What comforts us? What comforts us is the judgment and justice of God. That is a comforting theme in Scripture. That God will bring justice and judgment to who? And be careful that we don't read it individualistically. Will he bring justice and judgment to every person? The answer is absolutely yes. In that last day, that curtain will be peeled back and everyone will know the reality Everyone, there, there are no secrets. There is, everything is laid bare in the eyes of God and the day of judgment. That, that's what happens. The truth of our hearts, secret. All secrets are revealed and God judges on that day. But it's not just individuals. It is the nations. Why? Because he is not just the the judge he's of, of individuals. He is a cosmic judge. Right? And, and you look at that Psalm 2, and what do we see happening in that Psalm 2? Is it just nations? What's happening? Why do the nations rage? Right? Because we do not war against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and evil forces. Right? He is the cosmic judge. He will judge all nations, and he will be set king over all over all things, principalities and powers and people and creation, over all the universe. That's the shepherd king who wields the rod. That's who you trust in. But it's the rod and the staff. Right? The staff was an instrument to lead the sheep, to keep them on course, to rescue them. And here through this valley of the shadow of death, what do we have? We have the gentle correction of the shepherd. And we have the rod of the mighty king. You see, it's that that we have in life and in death that causes us not to fear because we can have complete trust in the shepherd. Oh, what does that do to your hearts, friends? What does that do to your hearts to know that this is the person this is the presence of God that goes before and comes behind. This is his heart towards you. This is his provision for you. 
This is how he's going to preserve you. Oh, it's appropriate that we begin worship by saying the Lord be with you and also with you. Oh, it's so appropriate that this is the psalm that we read in those moments of our grief because it is a psalm of great comfort. But also, my friends, it is a psalm of great courage, of great courage. There are things that that you're facing. There's trials of all different kinds. Some of them, you've shared those with me and the struggles that you're having, and those are real, and you're facing those. Take them to the shepherd king. Meditate on his word. Let it transform your heart. Not so much, if, you, if your heart's being, tra- if you have a rigid to-do list from God, then what you're reading in the Bible is simply law. You've read Psalm 1 and understood it, but you've not read the grace of God, Psalm 2. Because it's then that your heart is transformed, right? God transforms our whole being. When we understand his goodness and his grace, when we understand that he is for us, for his glory, when we understand the beauty of the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, is the beauty of that love that causes us to say we will stand in the face of adversity because, why? He's with you. He's with you. His presence is with you. He has provided for you, and he will preserve you. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful and familiar psalm. Even as worship is familiar to us, even as we come week after week, um, it becomes something that we do, but um, it is deeper than any depth of the ocean that any mariner has cause to explore. Um, Its discoveries are endless. And what we see in this is so very practical for our lives. So Lord, give us um, the courage not simply to face the things that we um, are facing, but give us courage to start in the right place. And the right place to start is with our nose in the book and our knees on the ground. That's the right place. And it's only when we start in that place that we can find the courage to stand, knowing that your rod and your staff, they comfort us. So Lord, as we continue with worship, as we set the table, we pray now that we would know to a a deeper degree Um, We would know even in our emotions because the truth is driving what we feel. That your goodness to us in these moments overflows. As As we contemplate in these next few moments the practice of this scripture in our lives and then we contemplate Jesus Christ crucified, and risen again. We pray that you would change us, transform us in these moments.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.